Hello and welcome to the Dustin and Eric Podcast Show brought to you by Mimosa Networks. Hi, I'm Dustin. Hi, I'm Eric. And today we're on episode number eight, installing a new customer. We're going to talk about residential and businesses. Today we have a special guest with us, uh, Kent Erwiller from Prairie Hills Wireless. Hello, Kent. Hey, how's it going? Good. Welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. So, Kent, yes, why don't thanks you, for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and uh, how well you do it? Wife and I started the, the WISP up in 2013. Uh, we had a rapid growth uh, period uh, for the first year, and uh, we installed about 550 customers in the first year, and all those I did pretty much by myself. Um, I also did the install. I did the installs, uh, phone calls. Uh, also did uh, the managing part of the business, and also did all the tower work. Um, and then since then, we've we continue to grow. We're around 1,300 customers now, and uh, we were recently just voted uh, with us with Operator of the Year uh, last year um, at, at Vegas. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much continuing to grow. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Well, I know you're definitely the talk of the town in Las Vegas in 2013. Everybody was really impressed with a solo mm-hmm. operator doing everything. So you've definitely mm-hmm. made a name for yourself and you've, you've done very well and hopefully you'll continue to do well. Yeah. And I know that you're, you're training some new install crews there. You've got a, a mm-hmm. daughter who's learning how to install radios <laughs> and then soon to have a <laughs> yeah. son to do the same thing. Yeah. She likes to put stuff together. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> training her, I guess. And she always points out whenever, we are driving. She sees a water tower. She's like, "Hey, Daddy, look! There's a water tower!" And she like lists off what color it is, and she gets all excited about it. So rubbed it off on her. Well, I know in this business, it's hard not to look at towers these days and see what other equipment you can tell is on that tower. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're gonna move on to catching up with uh, D and E. Um, hi, Eric. Uh, what did you do this weekend? Where's Eric? Why is Eric not here? What's going on here? So, uh, unfortunately, uh, Eric decided to take the end of the week off to go do some ham radio stuff, so I guess it's just me. So, uh, it's been a while since we've been here. Uh, I've done a lot of things in the the past month since we've done the show. So, uh, at the end of May, I went to a four-day-long cosplay convention, which was uh, quite fun, and thousands upon thousands of people were there, but being here in the the Silicon Valley area, you're definitely going to see thousands and thousands of people at any kind of convention you go to. Uh, My dad came by and spent Father's Day and my birthday, so we went and saw some things that we'd never done before. We went up to Napa Valley, drove around. It was real nice and pretty, but kind of warm, but it's okay. It's nice weather. Went down to Monterey and talked about going to the aquarium we walked in and saw it was 50 bucks a person and said, mm, we're not really wanting to go to the aquarium. So we left and ended up doing some other stuff. So, yeah, lots of things to talk about, but uh, I could probably talk about for the next 30 minutes. But that's not what you're here for. So let's uh, move on here to the interrogation room. And so question number one is, is what type of information should I put on door hangers or yard signs? So we talked about this on the last show a little bit, but... 
you want to try and keep uh, the, your door hangers and yard signs uh, pretty uh, to the point. Not a lot of info, just enough to get people's interest uh, peaked. You know, maybe name, uh, way to contact, either email address or phone number or both. Maybe a little bit about your plans that you're offering, just so people know that you're in the area. Uh, Kent, do you have you used any door hangers or yard signs in your network? We haven't used any uh, yard signs, but uh, we have used door hangers, and we we like to try and keep it really simple and straight to the point. Uh, not too many, too, not too much going on on the on the door hanger. Right, um, just like one or two attention getters, and that's pretty much all we do on those. Yeah, if you've got too much on there, people are just going to end up throwing it away. Mm-hmm. So basically your phone number, name of the company, and you sell internet pretty much is all you put on there? Yeah, we just sell internet. So we'll like put on there that like biggest seller for us is we're local and we're not some huge company. Um, and also the speeds we can offer, cause we, we offer speeds up to 150 meg um, with our micro pops that we have with the a5s and a5c's so uh we we put all, that on there and then we put like speeds up to 150 meg and then you know locally owned and operated and then we have our phone number and our company name on there that's what we put on there yep all right and number two uh, what do you use to monitor battery power and state of charge remotely well for our solar site we use the uh, the morning star uh it's the tristar m ppt60 it does uh, everything. It, it monitors battery power. Uh, you can log into the UI of it via IP address and look at that. It also has the state of charge for your batteries if you have those hooked up. And, of course, it also manages the incoming and outgoing power. So it's definitely a decent solution for any type of uh, battery monitoring for solar or just for battery backup. Uh, Kent, do you have any uh, special equipment you use to monitor uh, any kind of battery power? Do you have any sites like that? Yeah, so we have we have one solar site, uh, and it, we're just using the Netonics to kind of monitor it. Kind of not the best solution, but we only have just a few customers on it. But we have overkill battery power right now on it. Um, the uh, most of our sites, actually all of them, but that one is all AC. Uh, so what I actually use is just like old radios we have laying around that we're probably not going to deploy anymore. Um, and I set up an ICMP monitor on that radio and plug it into the power. Uh, it's a super cheap way of monitoring uh, the, if the power is up or not. Um, and, it, and it works really well. Um, saves me a ton of outages because we have kind of flaky power in some of our rural areas that we're, we're in. So, yeah. Yeah, I've done something similar, except I used a, a home router instead of a radio, doing the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, that that works too. And sometimes I also put like a little, like little access point or something in there, you know, um, in the in the in the you know the box for our, um, so we have Wi-Fi access locally. Right. Sometimes do that too. I cheat. I use the Mimosa 2.4 uh, Wi-Fi on the radios at our solar site for Wi-Fi. So. <laughs> yeah, that works too. <laughs> All right, number three, will a company like CenturyLink sell me bandwidth if I'm competing with their customers? Well, technically, you're you're still paying CenturyLink. They're still making money off of you and those customers because you're using their bandwidth, and so are your customers. So they'll definitely sell you bandwidth, but they'll probably mark it up a little bit so they make a l- just a little bit more off of you. Uh, who do you use for your, uh, your backhaul, uh, Kent? Right, so... 
kind of funny. So in Ravana, uh, where we're based out of, and we also have about 85% of the market now here, about every rooftop has a Mimosa radio on it. Um, we are using Cogent, but it's actually charter technically, um, you know, for the fiber stuff um, and uh, for the transport. And um, they uh, we they did mark it up a little bit, but they're the only option we have here in town. Um, and then we also have another connection, um, another upstream provider uh, in a town about 20 minutes away. Um, we use for backup. Um, yeah. So we use that for our backup uh, and also kind of offload too. So, right. Um, and it's with another telephone company. It's through local one. All right. And number four, do you prefer wall fishing or exterior penetrations? Well, if Eric was sitting across from me today, he would say uh, he definitely prefers exterior penetrations because they're usually easier and quicker to do. Uh, I prefer wall fishing. It's harder, but it makes everything look nicer. You don't have cable running on the outside of your home. It's uh, running through your attic and down the wall. Um, it just really depends on the customer and the type of home that you're installing, though. Pers uh, like if you're doing a mobile home, you can't really do a, a wall fish. You have to do an exterior penetration. But if you're doing like a a two- or three-story home, it's pretty much the same thing depending on where they want the uh, router at. If they want it on the top floor, it's easy to do a, a wall fish. But if they want to go down a floor or two, then it's a lot harder to get down through the wall to where they want it at. So uh, what do you prefer doing, Kent? And what do you usually end up doing? I prefer doing, uh, I don't know. It just kind of, like you said, it all depends on the situation. Uh, but... Uh, if it's a modular house or a trailer house, it's pretty much your only option most of the time is, you know, it's going to be exterior penetration. Um, but I, I prefer, I would say my, my ultimate pre uh, prefer, uh, thing I'd prefer would be um, probably wall fishing because it just looks prettier. Right. And I'm all about making things look nice. Yeah, you definitely need to make the things, uh, your installs look pretty so you can keep your customers happy and mm -hmm. bring in more people because I've seen tons and tons of places and, I'm sure you have too, where there's just like direct mm -hmm. TV cable just hanging off the side of the building oh, or the house or yeah, just and ran like If you like do garbage. a horrible job with the install, like that is what the customer's first impression is going to be when you're there. So you have to like impress them and make it look really nice. Right. Word of mouth uh, goes a long way. Yeah. So uh, number five here is, I know that you recommend Cat 6 shielded cabling. But is it okay to run Cat5e from the NID to the interior of the home? Well, I know that Cat6 uh, cabling, uh, shielded cabling, is a real hot topic, and uh, especially from most of the equipment. Uh, personally, I've found that if you run Cat6 shielded from the radio down to the NID, the NID is going to be grounded anyway, and the shielded cabling is has the drain wire in it, so you're grounded from the radio to the NID anyway. So it's a lot easier, and usually it looks a lot nicer and it's, uh, it seems to be okay to run Cat5e from the NID into the house, either through the back of the NID or coming out from the bottom of the NID and, or running it inside there. So uh, to answer the question, uh, it's not uh, Mimosa recommended, but I have found that it works fine. Um, do you use NIDs, uh, Kent, on home installs? Yeah. And how do you run your stuff? Yeah, we do. Um, we... I'm kind of picky about it and uh, I'm kind of 
uh, if the tech doesn't do it the way I want it, I kind of get kind of cranky about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I prefer to do cap six for the entire run. Um, no cap five at all, if at all possible. Well, so. for any, any of our installs here on our network, that's what we do. But we've mm -hmm. had a lot of people uh, that we've visited who didn't want to run Cat 6 shielded into the home because it doesn't bend easily and it it right. doesn't look nice. So I've let them do it. It looks okay. It runs okay. So if that's what they want to do, now they're going to do it regardless of what I tell them to do. So um, it works. But if you start having cabling problems, then it's probably best to go back and rerun that cat 5e with cat 6 shielded and see if your problems go away yeah there are also uh, another thing i'd like to add to that um, a lot of operators out there think that cat 6 is really expensive it, it's actually not much more expensive than cat 5 if you go with a particular brand um, we use stream uh, cat 6 um, and it's pretty easy to use and it bends fairly decent for being cat 6 um, but it's it's literally about the same cost as uh, Cat 5. So it was pretty much a no-brainer for us just to switch completely to Cat 6, what we did. Yeah, it's like, a, what, $150 a box or something? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can give it even on sale, and it's even cheaper than that. Um, the ends are a little bit more pricier. You know, your Cat 5 ends are roughly, Shielded Cat 5 ends are roughly around $0.50. Cents. These, these are typically around $0.99 cents to a dollar. So yeah. um, you want to extra careful when you crimp, but... It's just way more future-proof, so uh, that's just what we've been putting in on everything. Yeah, we actually just got two boxes of the, the Shireen 2021 in today and a bunch of ends, so that's what we recommend, yeah. and that's what we use here on our network, and it, it has never failed us yet. Yeah, that's the same same cable we use. All right, so number six, how do you ground your client radio when you're installing on the rooftop of a home? Kent, you got a good answer for that? <laughs> Uh, we, we typically will just ground it at the mid, um, on the side. I don't know if that's the most preferred, but that's what we do. Um, we've had good luck with that. Um, but that's what we do. Well, that pretty much goes back to exactly what we talked about on, uh, number five, where you're using your shielded cable to go to the NID and grounding the NID. It's, on a, a client rooftop that's a home, it's hard to find a ground point up there, and it looks real tacky to run a, a green line all the way down. Uh, so far, it works okay for us, and it's worked okay for the customers that I've been on site with that does the same thing. And if it works for you, Kent, you've got a lot of Mimosa yeah. equipment. I'd say it, it's probably safe to do. Yeah, we also get a lot of lightning. <laughs> Being here in the Midwest, we get a ton of lightning. I'm glad that we don't have that problem. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to today's uh, main course, the meat and potatoes of nom, 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 installing a new customer. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that you need to take into account when you're installing a new customer. And the first thing is, is actually communicating with the customer. So regardless of what you're doing, you need to actually talk to your customer and keep them updated. So from beginning of when you're trying to sell the internet service to them to when you're going uh, to meet them, if you're going to be early, if you're going to be late, if you're going to be on time, you need to call and talk to those guys or text them, tell them what's going on because they don't want to sit around all day long like they do with DirecTV when they give you a window of like 7 to 7. What normal person can deal with that because you have to go to work? And then, of course, you need to communicate with the customer on where you're going to install the equipment and how you're going to run the cable, where's the router going to go inside the house. You know, There's a lot of stuff that 
you need to clear with the customer before you do it. Um, I actually have a, a, a thing that I try to follow is you don't give the customer a lot of options. You just tell them how it's going to be, and most of the time that works out. But uh, because if you give them options, they start going, well, uh, we don't know. Shouldn't you know because you're the installer? I've actually run into that before where one of my installers went out, and uh, he was asking the customer where he wanted the radio at, and he, like, flipped out and told the installer to leave because evidently he didn't know what he was doing because he just wanted to know aesthetically where would he want the radio at. So uh, finding it, it's easier to just tell them what you're going to do instead of ask. So uh, with your company, Kent, do you do a, a lot of uh, communication, a lot of calling with your customers during the whole process of setting them up and then installing them and even afterward when they're already installed? Yeah, we do. We, uh, so what will happen is they'll, the customer will call in and then we schedule it. Uh, we generally will call first thing in the morning just to confirm. Sometimes we do it the day before as well, just to confirm the appointment, make sure the customer didn't have something come up. Um, and then we also have our, uh, installers, uh, call when they're on their way when they're like 15, 20 minutes away, um, just to give the customer a heads up that they're coming. Um, and when they, that's pretty much what we do. And then after the install is all finished, we usually do a follow-up call to make sure that they're happy with everything and everything's working good for them. Right. Yeah, for our, our small network that I manage here, uh, all of our customers actually have uh, mine and my installer, uh, well, Eric's phone number, uh, so they can text us. They have our emails, so they can email us. So if they have a problem or they think there's something wrong, they just send us a message and we take care of it pretty quick and then if it's something we have to go visit you know we go out the next day but we're always in communication with them so they know what's going on and and that's for any customer out in the world they really appreciate when you actually let them know what's happening so they can know what to expect either later in the day or the next day or whenever you're scheduled to come out uh so then we're going to talk about uh cpe location on the house so it doesn't always come down to uh where the customer wants it. It also has to do with uh, line of sight to your tower or your pop location. So you've got to try to find a, a middle ground there where you both have line of sight to that location and the customer is happy with it. Um, you also need to think about how you're going to run your cable once you've placed your CPE. So you're going to run it into the attic or you're going to run it along the, the fascia of the house or the soffit. Where are you going to run it in? Are you going to run it into the under the house, up through the floor, through the wall? There's lots of things that you have to uh, take into account when you're doing your CPE installations. And this is for business also. For businesses, uh, you need a non-penetrating roof mount. Can you mount a J-arm somewhere on the roof? Um, how are you going to cable into the building? Because a lot of the times, uh, it's a lot more difficult to get in on a a flat roof because all that is sealed up. So you have to find some way in, uh, maybe around uh, AC ducting or, uh, or pipe from the AC on the roof. Or You just have to do a lot of uh, looking around and uh, figuring out before you actually start installing stuff because ultimately you might put a radio up, get all the work done, and find that it doesn't work. And I know that in the past uh, we've done some installs, not here but at a previous job, where installers went out put all the equipment up and then found it didn't work because they didn't check the location before they just stuck it up on the rooftop. Um, Kent, since you're 
was a one-man operation for a long time there. Did you run into any of that where you put stuff up that you thought would work that didn't, or do you have installers who do that now? Um, actually, what I would do is have a little power pack with me. Um, well, actually, at the time, I guess I didn't have that. I would actually just run a cable, test cable from my inverter in my van, mm-hmm. and then get up there and test just test it before I do the install. Um, now we use power packs, just like the little you know um, battery packs that do POE out, um, and we get on the roof and test it before we put it in. Find the best place to put the radio. That's where we end up putting it. Right. Uh, definitely uh, worthwhile to do a quote-unquote site survey before you actually do mm-hmm. the install. So, yeah, the little battery power packs you can plug a POE into, you can carry up on the roof or running your 50-foot cable from the van or truck up to the roof. You know, whatever you need to do to get power to your radio so you can test the signal. And yeah. The and, power packs really save a ton of time, though, because you don't have to deal with the cable or anything. You just have it all there in your hand. Right, and they're Good really not that expensive anymore either. Probably 100 bucks or so you can get one that lasts a few yeah. hours. Like the ones we have are 100 bucks, really cheap. Right. So uh, also when you're installing a, a radio and you're running your cable, um, it's typically good to leave a service loop or what's called a service loop uh, somewhere on the J-arm or somewhere around the radio, which is basically uh, four or five uh, loops of cable there that you can unwind if something happens to the cable end or something happens to the cable. You can cut some off and still have a cable left over. Otherwise, you either have to splice it together, which is not a good idea with uh, scotch locks or, or whatever you're going to use, or you have to rerun the cable over again. So uh, hopefully you leave at least a little bit of service loop on yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we typically leave about three to five feet, which okay. might be overkill, but that's what we do. No. Cable's cheap instead of rerunning a cable. <laughs> if, if Eric was here, he'd say he leaves about 17 feet. So... He doesn't leave quite um, that much, but it is a lot. But it's good to have that extra cable there. It is, yeah. Cable cheap, labor isn't. That's true. So then we'll move on here to uh, exterior penetrations or wall fishes. So uh, if you're watching uh, YouTube here, you've got several pictures here. The first picture is uh, an exterior penetration, and it also has what's called a drip loop there that's kind of highlighted in yellow, if you can see that. And that's to help keep water from going into the home. Uh, I've seen plenty of installs, and I know there's people out there who probably just run it straight into the house. But you're leaving the perfect channel for water to run down and inside. So the loop there is just so it drips off at the bottom, lets gravity uh, take care of the rest. And then it's sealed up with uh, regular silicone or RTV. And then the center picture is kind of the inside of a wall when you're wall fishing from inside an attic down a wall. So basically, you just find uh, an open spot, and you drill into the center of the wall in between two studs, and uh, come out in the wall on the right picture there, and you put a box in, and you've got your, either your cable that comes through into the router, or you can terminate it into a jack, and that way you can unplug and plug in uh, patch cables, or longer, shorter patch cables. Um, once you've done it a few times, it's not too bad. There's a, a lot of tools out there. There's uh, fish sticks with magnets that help kind of guide your cable down to where your hole is. Uh, you can drill up from the floor and use lights and the same magnets. Uh, when you're doing your wall fishing, Kent, uh, do you use the magnets or do you just use uh, fish sticks and kind of 
where the electrical goes down and kind of use that as your, your point where you're going to come in? Yeah, that's what I do. Use fish sticks and then kind of go near the electrical. That way I know where I'm at. Cause I, I mean, usually by myself always. So, um, that's what I do to, to find that best place to, to drill. Right. And it's always hard to, to try to wall fish on the exterior wall too. So you want to try and go on a, an interior wall somewhere in the house. So just make sure you pick out a, a decent interior wall to do that. Otherwise, you're going to have a, a really difficult time unless you have a, a special drill bit to uh, get on that exterior wall. Um, also, when you're, you're drilling through masonry, make sure you have your masonry bit. You don't try to drill through with a, a wood bit. Otherwise, you're going to burn that bit up in about two seconds. So uh, our next uh, picture here is a, a very messy install. Um, can't, can you, can you see this picture? Yeah. Have you yeah. seen, have you seen stuff like this? I've seen even worse than that. <laughs> this is pretty, pretty uh, yeah, bad, I've but seen, I've, seen, I've seen some bad stuff like that. So we're talking about night, nice and neat installs here. And this is definitely not one. This is probably the best that these guys could do at the time. But when you're installing a fixed wireless in- internet, you have one cat six or cat five cable coming down to a nid that you put on the wall and then one leaving that and going inside there's it, it's all nice and neat you can you can put the cabling up under the the siding or into the siding or you know it really depends on what you're installing on or, or with but it's it's pretty easy to hide that cat six cable uh, you can also paint that cable where it blends in um Kent, when you're running your cable on the roof, do you tuck under shingles? Do you staple to the shingles? Do you do anything with uh, the shingles at all? Yeah, so we'll usually use screw clips is what we use. Okay. Those, you know, those little tiny screw clips um, because we get ice and snow and lots of wind. And so we've, like, when I first started doing the installs, I would do staples because it's faster, but like after about a year those staples get ripped out okay. from all the stuff we get so um screw clips is what i what i typically use okay and for uh for like metal siding or uh sheet metal siding do you kind of tuck into the corner pieces or do you screw clip to those two um metal siding if i can go down like where the trim is uh, what I'll do is I'll actually take the metal screws out and put the cable behind it. You can't even see it. Right. And same goes with, with vinyl siding. Um, you know, that channel, um, I'll go inside that channel. Yeah. You won't even see the cable. Yeah. It makes it pretty it much disappear. It, mm-hmm. So it, it's not hard to do a ni- nice and neat install. You just have to take an extra few minutes to actually do it. So don't be in a rush to get your internet service put in and make it look like crap because your goal is to make the customer happy and one of the ways of doing that is actually hiding the cable or making it look nice and neat. You don't want stuff that looks like this where cable is just going everywhere or hanging off the side of the house or falling off the roof. There's plenty of pictures out there on the internet or on Facebook that show really bad installs and what not to do. And it only takes a few of those installs to keep people from actually wanting to use your service because you might have fast internet, but you know, at the same time, a lot of people are pretty particular about what, you know, the sides of their house look like or the rooftop of their house. So you just have to be conscious of that and spend a few extra minutes on it. 
And then we're going to talk about uh, preparing for complicated installs. So sometimes you come to an attic that's real low. You don't have a lot of space to crawl in or the same for under a house. You don't have a lot of space. Um, I've run into a few houses that have spray foam, the whole, the attic, all of it, the ceiling, the floor, everything. And you have to try and dig and find where you have to put your cable in or how to even get your cable inside because it's really hard to, uh, find your way around, uh, when there's spray foam everywhere. You can't tell where you're at. Um, there's also really hot days out there when you get in the attic that you just feel like you're going to die. So you have to really decide how you're going to install. You have to take into account the weather. Your installers have to take that into account. It isn't just a cut and dry thing. It's going to be different every time. Um, what's your most difficult install? If you remember your most difficult install? Yeah, probably about uh, three feet deep of insulation. <laughs> and I had to go through it and crawl up, go up in like it had a peak, you know, I had to go up into that peak and then about this much room to crawl through. And then I had to go through a tunnel to get to that cable. It was basically like a tunnel I had to, uh, it was very claustrophobic, but lucky for me, I'm not claustrophobic, but if, if there was someone else that is, that was doing it, they probably would have been freaking out because it was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, there's also, that's probably my worst attic experience anyways. I've also had a lot of horrid crawl space experiences. Um, I had those too. Yeah, I'm sure that everybody's got their stories, and I've got several that I I won't share because it'll take too much time. We were already uh, have take taken too much time, so uh, we'll go ahead here and try to finish up. So uh, the next thing is is to actually use quality indoor equipment. So if you throw in a real cheap router that's just two four or even two four and five five gig, and it's really cheap, it's garbage. Your customer's going to have a bad experience with it. Uh, I've used a lot of cheap routers that burn up after a, a few weeks or a month and you keep going back and replacing those routers and, you know, you get the service back up, but then they start thinking that your service isn't reliable, even though it's not, you know, your wire, you know, your internet equipment, really, it's a, a third party router, but still, uh, so it's best to just use good stuff the first time around. So I've used Netgear. It works okay. Uh, we actually use TP-Links and our Mimosa G2s here on our network. And there's tons of people out there who use the uh, the MicroTik routers. Kent, uh, do you use MicroTik? I think you do, right? I don't. No? I don't. Wow. Nope, I don't. <laughs> You're one of those guys who don't use MicroTik. What do you use in a yeah. customer home, or do you make them buy their own router? We 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 actually do sell routers, which... It, you got to be careful when you are doing that. If you are with selling routers, just to be sure that, you know, um, you got to explain how things work when you sell them, um, like warranty and things like that, service calls. But um, we sell TP-Link routers just like you guys, you know, use. Um, we only we, we only sell the, the better, like the, like the 1900, like 3150, 2300, the larger ones. Right. Um, the smallest we sell is the 1200. Uh, we also do use a few G2s like in apartments and, um, apartments and like trailer homes and things like that. We, so they're good places for, um, G2s and, uh, that's pretty much what we use anymore. We used to use Netgear, but, um, been kind of like in the TP-Link, so we've been using those. 
Yeah, uh, the TP-Links, we, we use the Archer C9s, I believe. Uh, they seem to be really good routers, so mm-hmm. uh, our customers love them, and they're easy to set up. So uh, We haven't had any fail yet either. Uh, I've used some other vendors in the past, like I was talking about, that would fail after weeks or months. So uh, spending a few extra bucks goes a long way, especially on uh, electronic equipment. Yeah, especially on the router, because like, you're, you could have like the fastest connection coming into them, you know, to their house or their business. But if it's uh, a crappy router, they're just going to think your service is junk. Right. So exactly. got to be a good router. And uh, the last thing here, we'll talk about speed testing. So uh, our customers, your customers, everybody's customers, they know about speed test. They go and speed test all the time. Um, but what they don't know is how speed test works. There's different speed test servers out there that have wildly varying data. Like in this picture here, you've got speedtest.net on your phone, hosted, and the server's hosted by Verizon in this particular case. Then you have uh, fast.com, which is hosted by Netflix. These are the exact same connection, but they have two completely different numbers here. And so it really depends on the server you're connecting to, where it's located at, uh, what servers they're using, uh, what kind of uh, data that's already being used on your your home network or on the customer's network. Uh, So if they're running like three Netflix streams and they have a a 20 meg connection, your speed test is only going to show the bandwidth you have left. And customers don't understand that. And that's the biggest problem this day and time is that customers don't understand how speed tests work. And so they see really low numbers and then they think your service sucks. So Kent, when you go and install customers or when your uh, installers are out installing uh, do they bring up speed tests when they're done and show the customer what they're getting? Uh, do you guys explain to them how speed test actually works and uh, what they should or shouldn't expect on it? So what we typically do is we, when we're installing the customer, we have to educate them on how speed test servers can vary wildly and depending on what load they have on their connection. So what we'll do is we'll, when, when we're doing the, inst- when we're finished the install, we'll show them a speed test um, and we'll explain to them, you know, um, that this server can vary depending on the where it's located and what time. Um, and what we encourage them to do is if they do think their connection is slow, we actually have them call us. Uh, that way we can um, see real time and we explain this to them as well. Show, show, uh, that way we can show them real time what they are uh what they are actually using by logging into the radio and watching them real time while they're running the, the test. Um, and if the customer wants further proof, then we will actually take a screenshot of the, of the throughput graphs and then email it to them. All right. Well, just wait. You'll probably be really excited for the new G2 features coming out soon. Dot, <laughs> dot, dot. But with that, we'll move on here to uh, our tech tip of the week. This week's tech tip deals with testing cables and cable testers. So it's becoming really common when uh, I go out into the field with uh, new customers or even existing customers that they have cable testers. They test their cables and it comes back okay, but when they plug them in, it only shows like a 100 meg connection. You go back and inspect the cable ends and you find that uh, a couple of the pairs or at least one isn't all the way down at the end of the cable. You cut that off. And you recrimp it where everything's down at the end of the cable, and it comes up at a gig. 
Well, most cheap or even uh, somewhat expensive cable testers, they don't tell you if you're at 100 meg or at a gig. It just says if, it's, if it passes or not, which basically if it has a connection on all pairs. So you'd have to spend a lot of, a lot of money to get a cable tester that actually tells you that you're either at 100 meg, that your, your pairs are short, or you're at a gig and all your pairs are at the end of the cable. So just make sure even though you're testing with a cable tester that you actually look at the cable ends and you kind of inspect it before you go and uh, just say you're good to go and there's nothing wrong with your cable. Because ultimately, nine times out of ten, it's a crimping problem and you need to go back and cut your end off. So uh, before we go here, Kent, do you uh, cable test your st- every time? Do you cable test? No, or do you only cable only test when you have a problem? Yeah, right. Right. Which is what I do. Only, I only cable test when I have a problem, but it's good to cable test regardless, especially if you've got a real long run that you're about to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, uh, what tester do you use? I don't even remember the brand. It's a cheaper one, though. It's not no fancy thing. Okay. It's yeah. just a cheap one. Yeah, we use Fluke testers uh, here. They're actually like three or $400, but still... Yeah. <laughs> They're not perfect. There's no cable tester that I've ever used that's perfect. So, Yeah. But with that, uh, we've reached the end of the show today. Um, so basically today we talked about installing customers at businesses and residences. We went over uh, from beginning to end, from install to uh, termination pretty much. And so uh, we had special guest Kent Erwiller on today with uh, Prairie Hills Wireless. We appreciate you coming in. And uh, next week, we'll actually be talking about troubleshooting and maintenance. So uh, just so you know, we've got two episodes left in this series, uh, troubleshooting and maintenance, and then actually grilling a wisp for 30 or more minutes about how they do everything. So we'll see you next time on our next episode of the Dustin Eric Podcast Show. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe or follow button to stay up to date with our latest podcast, which will be available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. 